Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. Said that so seriously. Yes. I like to mix it up a little. <laughs> uh, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games as well. And we are here with um, multi-time guest, Brennan Taylor. Hey, Brennan. Welcome back. Hello, I'm Brennan Taylor, and I am uh, the co-owner of Galileo Games. Yes, yes, and thank you for coming back and joining us. We we got a a good topic today. I'm excited to talk about, and it's <laughs> like I feel like we haven't talked about this at, like really at all on the podcast, Craig. Like maybe a while back, but we haven't really touched into a lot of social stuff in our games. You wanna you wanna get us get us rolling on this GME or GMing side of our uh, episode today? Sure. Um, specifically, social roles and social. And when we say roles, we're you know referring to dice rolls, card flips, you know whatever the mechanics are, social mechanics um, of the game, and making those interesting and engaging as a GM. Because I think one of the one of the possible problems with social conflict in a game is that for many of us, not not all, certainly, but for, for a lot of players, the real stakes are often in the physical stuff in like my my character could die, the fight, the combat, the, you know, deadly exploration kind of stuff where you're like, you know, you could fall into a pit forever. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, getting real stakes into um, social roles and social mechanical, social mechanic stuff and social story elements is um, uh, something that's worth kind of delving into, like ways that we as a GM can integrate that, like what what are good ways to deal with that with within the confines of whatever game system we're using, or even just house ruling some stuff in if that's what gets you where you want to go. So let's let's uh, let's get into social conflict. So All we right. decided we're having a fight on the podcast. That's what we're doing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Brennan, Brennan, what was your what was your thought when you were choosing this topic? Um, basically, I find it a very interesting topic because, you know, I feel like the combat side is very well explored, but I feel like there's a lot of room for innovation in social, social roles because, uh, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of systems don't touch. So... How do you deal with it as a GM? Yeah, it, I mean, we all have experience with social stuff in our real life. Like that's something we do every day is people, we talk to people, we convince them, we argue with them, whatever we're doing. But I don't know about you. I don't know what your personal life is like, but I don't swing a sword at people every day. That's more like <laughs> a special occasions thing. So <laughs> I, I feel like it's it's kind of difficult as a GM to take this thing that we're all very well versed in, at least by the time that we become adults, we're all very well versed in the art of social interaction in a lot of ways that adding the mechanics onto it can feel kind of clunky. You see this a lot, especially in D&D, like you have somebody make some sort of outrageous lie that would be totally unconvincing in real life. It'd be completely unconvincing. And then they roll and they get like a natural 20 on their die roll and they have like a plus whatever in, in their bluff skill. And that's successful. And that can feel really weird to a game. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the the added issue of, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is something that kind of comes into play with a lot of games is you can say, like the GM can say, well, just role play it. Just role play it out. And like you, you, if you give me a good enough argument, Brennan, then your character wins the argument. And and the 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 goalposts for what is a good enough argument are completely subjective, and it's mostly going to be like you know me just saying like you know don't drop the ball, like don't, just give, give me something to work with. Right. Um, but whereas nobody ever just says, well, you know, we're going to have a combat now, so you know, just just role play it out, <laughs> like just <laughs> punch punch me, go ahead, exactly. Like, <laughs> let's yeah. see who wins. So uh, there because there's because there's there's different ways to deal with it. Um, and, and all, you know, some games that don't have social mechanics built into them, um, you know, integrated well into them, um, you know, the, the fallback becomes like you've got different players who like some players want to role play. Some people don't want to role play that much. And so they want to make a role and it's just a kind of a quick role to determine whether they succeed or fail. But there's there's a lot more depth that can come out of it. And I think, you know, one of the first things to do with any social mechanic is with with integrating social not so much mechanics because we'll get to we'll get to design later. Yeah. But like as a GM, dealing with um, social conflict in the game is to make sure that it ha- it has stakes, like real stakes. Um, and the, uh, yeah, it, I would agree with that. Yeah. Initial thought that I had was like just as an example, I could role play this kind of Lothario schmoozy character who's going to find a way to to woo the, the 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 countess and get her to pay to get her to invite me into the ball and pay for everything while I'm there and that's a great little character moment <laughs> but it's not stakes for like this ongoing story unless we as you know as the gm add in like okay so you're going to try to get in there to learn things about the countess or other characters who are at the ball so that you can blackmail them or you're trying to get into the ball because there's something to steal and this is your way in rather than breaking and entering and so the now and now the social interaction has something else tied to it like if i fail at at schmoozing or wooing or whatever it is i'm doing socially that like now suddenly we have a uh, an obstacle that we have not overcome and now we have to find another way in or worst case scenario we blow it so badly and the game has botch rules and things like that well now they're on the lookout they're on high alert that somebody's trying to sneak in or somebody's going to try to blackmail somebody or or you specifically are now on a, a watch list or like a, they're alerted of your presence so you know as as a gm i think that there's nothing wrong with like the little social things here and there that are kind of character moments. They, they build l- wonderful little moments, but when it, for the really evocative, interesting stuff is, th- is to find a way to, to attach real stakes to what's happening and let it be something that, um, you know, failure has consequences, which is sure. like one of the, one of the standbys for you. You see it often when you read rule books and as designers, we write this in there is like, we make check, you make, you make dice rolls when, when there are failures have consequences. You don't ask for, you know, dice checks for everything. So same thing, like there should be consequences to social conflict. To uh, yeah. Yeah. I hundred percent agree with that. I mean, basically the principle is, you know, if it's not, if there's no stakes, it's not worth rolling for uh, generally. What are you finding out in that case? Just that somebody's bad at it or good at it. It doesn't really make any difference long-term. So yeah, you want to make sure that there's consequences of some kind. The thing I'm concerned about with social roles is just the the two sides of that same coin, which is uh, of the same coin we were talking about earlier. People who are bad at social in real life, but have a good social character, 
shouldn't be penalized for not uh, being able to come up with a convincing lie uh, on, you know, in in game, even if their character would be able to. And also uh, people who are really good at social things in real life uh, shouldn't be able to skate by with uh, without having to make a, you know, a role for their character at some point uh, based on their own, just their own charisma, you know? Yeah, I agree. And that's why I think that you should, I don't make a lot of should statements when I'm talking about GMing, <laughs> but I think that you should, as a GM, allow a little bit of third person role playing your games. You should not make your, your players speak in character 100% of the time to talk about the things that they're saying especially like if you're if you're role playing with people who are neurodivergent which in this hobby it would not be fair it's not nice it's not nice to make everybody uh role play the same way so if i want to say oh i'm going to convince the queen that i am their new maid i think that's enough i think that's fine if you want to say that and then you roll i don't i'm not going to make you role play out this entire scene and then roll at the end and punish you for not doing a good job at it because again i'm not making you this is not a larp i'm not making you jump up on the table and shoot a bow and arrow at <laughs> at somebody i'm not making you do that why am i making you do this social aspect too so i think allowing as the gm giving that space for alternate styles of role play instead of prescribing one specific style. Now, maybe that first person role play really works well for somebody else. Like they like speaking in character. They want to interact that way too. But like you said, Brennan, you can't let that be the only determinant factor. I think, I I do think things still need to be realistic. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's one of the things that we run into a lot with games that have skills like a bluff or a deception skill or even like an insight skill um where you can tell if somebody's lying i think that the like you still kind of have to have it be realistic it's not realistic for somebody who's armed to the teeth and is like a wanted criminal in the country to be like oh yeah i'm your new maid your majesty obviously (laughs) like you have to kind of make it realistic but that doesn't mean you have to argue realistically Right. And I think that that goes back to a real basic principle, which is you can't break the conceit of the game without making it goofy. Right. You've got to you've got to stick within genre. You've got to stick within what would be realistic for people in that genre. Otherwise, your game's just going to get really gonzo and weird. So which you might like. I mean, maybe some, that's some what games you that's do, appropriate, but, but most games uh, people are going to have. Uh, you know, they're going to object to that a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's something you should discuss in in your session zero. Everyone should be on the same page with that too. 100%. Yeah. Do, <laughs> I'm thinking about like when I play a bard, for example, in 5e, I like to, when I'm doing the, I forget the name of the spell, you insult somebody and it hurts them. I I like to come up with the insults on my own. But that's hard to do. Hard to do on the fly. You know? Right. Like, don't don't make me. Don't make me do it. <laughs> right. Don't make me be goofy. <laughs> uh, a, a thought I had too was, and you can, this is one of those things that maybe you talk about with the player a little bit. Like some some players will take the opportunity that they're they themselves personally are not 
like big socially, like they tend to be quieter, but they're using, as we talk about quite often on this show, uh, on this show, sometimes people use role-playing as a way to try things out. Like they're, mm-hmm. I'm going to play a character who is more socially adept. That gives me an opportunity to kind of stretch those muscles, to try to become a little bit more of that, to grow and find my, my footing as that sort of thing. But they also recognize that they may stumble. Um, mm-hmm. And that you as a GM recognize that that's okay, that they stumble. And you can even ask them and say, like, I, you know, if you, if, if they, you know, have a little talk with them about that, if, if that's where that, where things are going. And if they, you know, like, I'm going to, like, they, they may say, I, I come, if I come up with like a, an idea for something and I, this is like, this is what I'm going to use to try to convince somebody of something, but I can't seem to flesh it out into something that makes kind of more sense in the world because they get caught. Um, they're, they're, they get anxious or they're, they're kind of at a loss or like, is it okay, you know, as the GM, if I just throw a couple of suggestions and you can like say, oh, that, that works. I'll, like, that's the, the the route that I take or other players. Is it okay if another player says like, what if you say this, even though if the, even though the player's character isn't there to offer the suggestion, like mm-hmm. you can break that meta wall a little bit and that will give the, the player a little bit more confidence to be to know that they're not going to just like hit a wall and, and not be able to move forward with it. And, um, and also like it'll put them more at ease because they've got people, you, the GM and the other players who kind of have their back and that will ease their situation and make it, you know, potentially make it easier for them to continue to break down those walls and find their, their social voice in this experimental way that they're trying to do. I think that's a really good tip too, especially like if you're playing with kids, too you sometimes they'll need that extra help they're gonna need yeah. someone to kind of whisper like here's an idea here's an idea for you um or sometimes they will want to do that whispering and you know if you have a kid at your table you should be trying to let them have a fun time you know <laughs> kids are kids are going to come up with the greatest ideas too because they they don't think the same way as uh, us jaded adults do they, they they're much more open to like really weird wacky stuff that you may not insert there so by all means let the kids suggest stuff (laughs) please 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 (laughs) what about like from the other side so like this is a lot about facilitating the uh, the players and having them kind of you know have their hero fantasy that that we're after when we're playing role-playing games what about for you as the gm and handling your that's a lot of pressure you know to to do a social scene right and then you just definitely your eyes (laughs) yes because you're (laughs) you're on the spot to improvise a lot of dialogue especially if there's more than one npc in the scene so yeah so what do you do what do i do yeah what do you (laughs) Uh, do i i basically i in session zero i get an expectation from my players that i may not be able to come up with something like instantly I, I get a little uh, leeway for myself as a GM to have some time to think about things so that when somebody says something to me, I can take a few seconds to compose myself and compose an answer that a more adept or smooth talking NPC would have been able to do on the fly. And I'm not so great at. <laughs> yeah, it's like a lot of the same problems that the players have. You now, you're the one who has to come up with all of this and you might not be as socially adept as the <laughs> the cool npc that you came up with let yourself right. maybe maybe you're going to do a little bit of third person role play mm-hmm. um he says something the- mean about your mother and it, <laughs> yeah it feels bad <laughs> one of the things that i i like to do if i'm going to have an npc that is going to convey a lot of information 
or or engage for an extended period is to switch back and forth. Like you can start with the greeting, the salutation that the NPC gives, kind of set the stage that helps you to get a personality across because everybody, different NPCs, different characters kind of greet people different ways. They treat people different ways. They look down on, they look down their nose at you. They, they speak, you know, kind of pompously, or they speak very matter of factly, or they speak like, like your best friends or whatever. Um, and then if there's a, if there's information to convey, like I might switch into, and then he tells you all about blah, 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 blah. Um, and then punctuate it with, and then he ends saying, and then you kind of go back into the character and you give that line that is going to be like the thing that, like the, that the NPC said that the players are going to remember. Um, it's the line that, you know, might have like a clue hidden in it. Like the NPC gives something away accidentally. Like it's great for monologues, like where you, where you have the villain monologues and give something away in, in the actual thing, you know, the, the, what they're saying, um, and uh, and then you can kind of punctuate all of that with, you know, and then looks to you expectantly or and then turns and walks away briskly and, or, you know, whatever it is that's going to going to uh, prompt the next stage of the social interaction. Are you going to chase after them and continue trying to talk to them or they're waiting mm -hmm. now he's waiting for an answer. So you've got to come up with an answer. And so you can you can go back and forth in that sort of thing, especially if you don't have a lot of uh, if you're not real, real it, it not adept with improv or just not in the mood for it at that moment or just don't feel like you're going to be able to put together something eloquent because then you feel like you're failing <laughs> um is yeah just flip back and forth there's nothing wrong with that and you can have you can do you can do that flip back and forth between characters too like if you've got the real the dour man you know the the well any character a few words right the the npc that doesn't say much well that's great now you don't have to say much you can describe everything about them in their interaction with them with just like how they look at you um and how they shake your hand um and that sort of thing and then you can have like the more verbose character that that's the only one you have to worry about really speaking for um you can also sorry it, it mixes it up. And it also, when you think about it, I mean, think about how, like when you're reading a book too, sometimes, yeah, like it's begin quote. And then it's just this big, long run of something, somebody saying something, but it, more often it's varied. Like people, writers, good writers, vary things. They'll have the character speak for a while and then they'll have some action description of whatever it is. And then they'll talk about the person gesturing. And this is all part of the social interaction. So you can vary how you present the social interaction, even when it is mostly dialogue if you can also use your more verbose players to your advantage so let's say you have like one person who's like you know they were in their high school theater productions all the time they love improv they love talking they're super charismatic in real life and that kind of comes across at the table and it may be like not necessarily a problem but they're taking up kind of a lot of space at the table you can use them to your advantage by giving them the NPC to roleplay in that moment. They can be the smooth talking, silver tongued character at that time. Give them like a couple, like, here's the motivation. Here's the secret you're trying to hide. Here's your goal in this conversation. This is your character now. Like you get to be this NPC. And that does two things. Number one, it takes their PC out of the table. Like, oh, they're somewhere else right now. Don't worry about them. They're gone. This is who you're talking to. Now, everyone else has that opportunity to have the banter with that player playing an NPC at this point, although, you know, now, now the lines are a little blurry. And 
I've had that happen. And my experience as a player, like I was like either playing that NPC or like being quote unquote up against that NPC allowed more of us to interact and also practice those skills kind of with a, a master teacher. And in that case, like they are the person who is kind of helping us through this banter uh, because Mm -hmm. they are the expert at the table. Uh, I don't, I, I enjoy, especially as a GM being able to kind of pass, pass that responsibility and delegate their responsibility to somebody else. Um, As long as it's not an NPC with a game breaking um, secret to know, uh, there's no reason why you can't let somebody else take control of them for a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Leveraging players for that is always fun, um, but you've got to make sure that the group is definitely on board with uh, playing separate characters. So, yeah. I've never had it be successful with like, you're playing this character and also another character in the same scene. Usually it's like this person, like your character right now is going off exploring somewhere else. I need you to be this person at this time, please. And it, it gives you the, as the GM, the added benefit of like, one of the things I know I struggle with sometimes is coming up with you. Like if you're going to have a lot of NPCs in a particular uh, storyline or whatever, coming up with unique voices for them, you know, which is something yes. I try, I, I like to do. If you, if you hand one of those NPCs off, even if it's just for a short while um, to like the master role player uh, in the group, they, they'll, they might invent like a way of speaking for that character immediately. And then you just crib that for when you need to bring that character back. Like, Oh, they, they came up with like a weird accent or a way, a, a rhythm of speaking or um, a, 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 catchphrase. A, a phrase or something that they inserted in all the time. They always, you know, they always ended their questions with, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, like, yeah. Like, and suddenly you've got a little hook for that character and you didn't have to come up with it. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off of you. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I do with NPCs is try to write down like three things about them that are memorable yeah. uh, when I'm creating a new NPC to introduce so that I can at least have some way to characterize them in a way that differentiates them from other NPCs. And that's uh, that's just something that you can do uh, about their vocal mannerisms or the way they speak or if they have a little habit like that, you know, that can be one of the things that you put down about the character. I'm a big fan of um, trying to define not just the voice, but like mannerisms yes. um, and colloquialisms and think like just different things. Like think about, it's hard to think about yourself that way because like, you know yourself so well and you think of like a billion things about yourself, but just like, think about your friends and be like, you know, I've got a friend who like says this phrase a lot. I've got a friend who like, you know, um, runs their fingers through the hair a lot. Like those, these are just things that like, some people do automatically and you can just like think about the people around you that you know very well and you'll you'll pick out little um little mannerisms I, that's one of my favorite things to even just speaking as a designer real quick like putting on a character sheet for your for your characters like you know what's their description what's their appearance and what's their mannerisms like a little and that's just a broad term to like you know they speak a certain way or they you know they walk with a limp or they have uh you know a haughty air about them or whatever um and you can even if so for for those of you, uh, for those GMs who are like, oh, I struggle with voices. Well, you don't have to do it in voices. Just just I do this plenty. I I say I'm going to butcher this accent, so I'm not going to speak in this accent. But this person speaks with this accent, 
And then mm-hmm. I just talk in my normal voice and I use like an interesting little mannerism to help that be memorable rather than trying to do, you know, a South African accent, which I can't do right. <laughs> or whatever, whatever accent or some weird, I don't have an alien accent to go with this, but it, it sounds, the accent sounds like this. It's, you know, tell yeah. them what the accent is supposed to sound like, but then you don't have to keep it up all the time. Yeah. It's, it's all theater. Like it, if you, if you can't let a little things like be put into your imagination and not be there at the table for you, the tabletop part of a tabletop role-playing game is maybe not the best scenario to be acting out in there. You can go. If you, if you like it to be completely immersive, go do a LARP. And I say, <laughs> I say that with like positivity, like you will enjoy, go, go do that. You will probably like it more that, you know, some people get really into places. I, uh, I can't, I can't do a lot of accents. Um, Right. Uh, my my sister also like she can't uh her her two uh accents are uh vampire or oh, and by vampire you mean blue yeah like dracula transylvanian <laughs> like like, like bad cartoon, dracula cartoon transylvanian yeah and sean connery like those are the only two can you see the beast no uh clear enough miss mommy penny but yeah i think within too like not only are you choosing some of those characteristics for your npcs but like within the actual social scenes because brennan like you mentioned these scenes should have stakes if you're going to be doing like roles or anything or some sort of conflict resolution there should be a conflict with stakes and in that case the stakes in a social situation are either the consequences craig like you mentioned or the goals and secrets that these players have and the 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 non-player characters have um, and making sure you note those down. For example, in Moonpunk, there were like we had all of the players and non-player characters had ethoses, and there are things that they will never go against. Doesn't matter how convincing you are, you're not going to convince right. me to let go of this ideal. This is part of who I am, um, which is much more up the line. Like, how are you going to convince somebody to, I don't know, betray the love of their life? You would have to come on you're not going to be able to do that no matter how high you roll um, right and i and i, I, I think like that's important that. i think that's important that there are things that a character lines that a character won't cross uh just from a social interaction that there are things that they will not do um because i feel like a lot of times a, 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 a high roll like a 20 or something with a big bonus people are like, well, then they'll just do anything that you want. And I, that's, it's not mind control. It's yeah. It's a social interaction. And there are no natural twenties in a, Oh, come on. In, in D and D uh, there are no natural twenties in a non-combat role anyway. That's true. That's, that's a house rule that a lot of us just do. Yes. <laughs> what about like from the mechanics and the design side? I think that there's a lot to nab in here. So for, for me, I find it very interesting that we are always so accustomed and we, we allow the idea that I can hit you, I can hit your NPC with my sword and hurt them, but your NPC can also hit me with their sword and hurt me. But for social interactions, I can convince your NPC based on a role, but you can't do that to me. I find that very interesting. Yeah. You know? And and I think that there are a lot of a lot of games out there that do social interactions differently. And I'm interested to hear, interested to hear and what two of you have to think about that. 
Well, the number one thing I think is, again, that a social interaction isn't mind control. So it's not, it's not, I won the role, I can do anything, especially if that's pointed at a player character, because that's going to feel like you're getting a lot of agency taken away from you as a player. If it's just a simple role and all of a sudden you have to do something, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the Apocalypse World games that offer you a choice of bad things happening to you or you do what they want uh, are is, is an interesting way to approach it um, from a mechanical standpoint. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just thought when you were saying that too, um, if it's not possible, there aren't stakes either. Right. I mean, like, so what's the point in rolling there too? It's okay, I think, to have that. Like there are some things that won't happen. So yeah, Apocalypse World, you get a list of like, do what they say or or this, and you can choose to take those consequences. Yeah. I I, I think that that's a, that's a good way to do it. Like, yes, there's, you can convince people, but, but. Right. I've, I've put limitations like that into, into some mechanics as well. Like in Capers, there's a superpower that is influence emotions. There's no, there's no straight mind control because I don't like that as a, something to be used against characters um if you use it strictly then it's like it does become like robbing the player of agency but i have ways in there that you can do things that like influence emotions like you can you can force my character to experience a particular emotion and if my like if you make my character you you cause them to become angry like if my character's reaction to becoming angry is to become physically violent then that's what i do and, th and now if you know my character you know that that's kind of probably my go-to and so you can get me to do some some things in social situations by manipulating based on how you know like what you know about the character and, and like so the ability becomes more integrated with like a knowledge of your target and then lining it in there with things like too like they, they won't do anything that's going to get themselves killed or get um, or get a loved one hurt, you know, like there's, you're not going to get to violence through these things. Um, but I think when it comes to this to social mechanics and designing social mechanics is to figure out what the role of social mechanics are supposed to be in your game. There's, you know, we, we talk pretty easily about how like there's certain games that are like adventure -y, fighty games and like the social stuff is kind of a well, you've got skills that allow you to do it so you can you can make checks and but it's not really thought out as part of the game not integrated in a greater way other than just like roll a skill check so but if you've got if you're designing a game where social interaction is very very important then give some time and thought to expanding the system to reflect that you know there there that's one of the things that pbta games um, do very well a lot of them where there's you know masks has stuff where your 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 moves are all about like manipulating like like it's your emotions and like the person like making them feel bad about themselves and you can you can manipulate emotions or you've got monster hearts which is, which is all about relationships um and so a lot of moves are all about doing that sort of thing so they they the designers put 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 the time into creating mechanics that take care of those things rather than just and and are just as fleshed out as the things that are more physical and aren't just like okay you make a check and you succeed or fail so like i think that probably the watchword right out of the gate first is to figure out like how do what 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 is your game's attitude toward social conflict and resolving social conflict with game mechanics um is it uh, just a thing we like well you can do it 
Um, or is it something that's important and needs to really, you know, need, you need to spend some time on and then give it equal time if it needs equal time, equal depth. Yeah, I feel like there are certain some games and, you know, I, I love fate, but it doesn't really cover the social uh, in in uh, as big a depth uh, apart from attacks and defenses, which is a little different than convincing someone of something like beating down their mental defenses isn't the same thing. Right. So uh, I feel like uh, there are ways to deal with that that are more complex and less blood force. So, um, you know, I'm working on a game right now that uses a very complicated, I mean, the whole thing is just social mechanics. So it's, it's all about negotiations. And in the end, it's about how much you're willing to risk before you give in to your opponent's uh, desire to extract a promise from you, basically. That sounds very interesting. I yeah. like that. I, I really like social mechanics. I think that there are a lot of very interesting ones out there. I, I feel like the weakest one out there is like, here's a skill, I roll the skill, it's a success or failure, because that's not really how, how that works. It's, it is very subjective. And it does involve, Craig, like you said, it involves this player agency and it involves this give and take and risk in a way that's not like you're not necessarily risking your your body like you are in a fight. Um, so like I, I would be, I'd be very interested in seeing that Brennan and then stealing it to use it. Yeah. That doesn't That doesn't have a very <laughs> solid, that doesn't have a very solid social set of skills. Um, in, in the means of magic, we have a social skill where the resolution is not how successful your argument is. That's all subjective. You have to present an argument that is realistic and convincing to the NPC that you're talking to and try to get them to a point that they might agree with what you ask. And it only happens in, in scenes with stakes. Like they don't want to do it. You want them to do it. They don't want to give you something you want them to, something like that. Um, and you have to give them either some convincing evidence or, or make a convincing argument based off of your skills. Uh, and, but you're not resolving that success. You're resolving how stressed are you getting during this argument? Are you able to keep your cool? Are you able to keep pushing this line of conversation without you becoming overwhelmed and exploding on them in whatever way that you explode, whether that's actual anger or you feel really bad and sorry for yourself or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we involved, we added a lot of mechanics in there, like, um, and guides for the GM, like, okay, it, it depends on who's talking because if the NPC who's really, really good at talking and is really charismatic or the PC who's really charismatic is talking to somebody who already has a bad relationship with them, it's going to be harder for them, right? They're going to start lower on their social scale. It's going to take more convincing. And the more convincing you have to do, the more stressful it is for you. And the more frustrated you're getting, or the more upset you're getting, or the more nervous you're getting. I like that. Yeah. That there's, there's consequences essentially for uh, the social mechanic. For trying too much. Yeah. Like, if you are trying to convince someone who does not like you to abandon their home and go with you on an adventure, <laughs> it's harder than if it's Gandalf, your old friend who, who <laughs> you know, I always, I, I got to drop in my Lord of the Rings reference. Apparently every episode. 
<laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny because I am playing the One Ring and they have an interesting social mechanic in it as like? well. Uh, basically, you there's a number of different social skills that you can roll. And anytime you're trying to convince someone of something, they have what's called their tolerance, which is essentially a number that you're trying to raise or lower, that you're trying to lower down to zero so that they they then are, are uh, receptive to what you're trying to say. Um, but if you fail rolls, the number goes up until they get mad enough that they cut the conversation off. So it's it's very interesting, sort of a uh, a give and take. Yeah, I like that because that that really rings true to me. That's kind of similar, like to what we did with the means of magic, except it's more on the on the player side. Uh, it rings true, rings true to me as a teacher. I get students trying to convince me of all sorts of bizarre things. Like they can nag at me all the way out, like come on let us let us have a free day let us have a free day it's not going to happen and the more you keep trying to ask me this the more <laughs> irritated the, you the get the more <laughs> irritated i'm getting and the less likely i'm going to ever listen to you wanting a free day come on stop yeah. like that you know that just brings more true to me as someone who has to deal with silly arguments every day <laughs> <laughs> i find myself thinking about like two different ways to deal with that sort of situation, which is if your social mechanic is like you make a role and it determines the outcome, whether that is pass fail or whether there are gradations of success and failure right. um, or versus if there's a social check system that feels a little bit more like a fight where that is to say you need multiple successes you need to wear down the uh, you know you know you need to convince and then reconvince and then up the ante and make it even you know super convincing or you need to do you know you need to work at the person in order to get them to to do what you're looking for them to do socially that you know, like you said, if if you're going up against someone who already kind of dislikes you, you know, if it's the single success thing, well, you they you you suffer a p penalty on your roll, or you increase the target number of the check. If it's um, a multi-success kind of thing, like maybe you've got a, a four check boxes that you've got to fill in to convince this person of something, but they hate you, so now you've got six. Have fun and right. don't botch don't botch a roll while you're doing it because if you botch a roll, that's it. You're like you're not getting out of it, um, and you need to get you know six 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 successes, or you need to get more than fifty percent of your checks to be successes, or whatever the mechanic turns out to be. Um, and to also build in uh, the possibility for um, trying again, like you know, just like there, there's a tendency like. When, when you default to some simple check, like, oh, you, you try your check, like, okay, you succeed or you fail at that thing. But like in a fight, like you, you if you get into a fight and you don't defeat the thing, like you can retreat, you can try again later, you can come back with better tactics, you can come back with better weapons, you can, you know, like in a social situation, if you're, you know, when you're designing for that is think about like what players might do where they go in and they try to convince this thing, convince, convince a person to do something and they aren't able to do it, but they haven't burned any bridges with the person so they can go back, regroup, think about like, okay, what's, they do some research on the person, like what's going to convince them? What's their Achilles heel? What's the thing that, you know, what's the, the beloved thing that they can't say no to? Um, and then go back in there and maybe, you know, have less check boxes to fill in or an easier target number to hit because they put this extra effort into it. And that gives social roles 
um, having the, the retriability gives them more weight and makes them more interesting and evocative because it allows you, it allows the players to fail and create mm-hmm. interesting situations because they failed. Well, now they can't get to the place that they want to go right now. So some other stuff's going to happen over there. We need to regroup quickly and figure out how we're going to get in and, and you know, do whatever social checks we need to do to do the thing before like everything goes out of control over there. Like you, 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 you put a time clock on it or whatever, whatever the GM is doing to, to uh, provide an impetus for the players. You can, you can give them the opportunity to try again. Um, And then at, at the same time, the flip side is like, it's okay to have like, what well, you burned that bridge. Like, there's no way you botched that role so hard. That person is never going to trust you again. Maybe a different player has to try. Yeah. Right. Um, or maybe you have to switch tactics and try to um, like, can you come up with a way to get what you want by being the jackass that they don't like anymore? <laughs> like you can, you might be able to manipulate that into a situation. Mm-hmm. And, and so that becomes like, and that's something you can, as a designer can address too. Like, well, what happens when they completely blow it and they can't go down that route anymore is, you know, can they try again from a completely different route where they like take that, those consequences, um, and somehow turn them into a strength. I can imagine that a game like that would also need a robust system to sort of track relationships, like have, have something like for the GM to keep track of last time you convinced this, some, this person to do something and it went badly for them. And this is a black mark on their record. And now it's going to be harder. You're burning bridges, um, whatever it is, but I love the idea. I don't know how to mechanize that, but I love the idea of using the fact that they do hate you to get them to do what you want like oh like the reverse psychology aspect (laughs) (laughs) like this person who i don't like wants this person to win in in the politics thing that we're doing in this game no 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 i'm gonna go against the other guy and that's secretly what you were trying to get at all all along i love that i just don't know how to mechanize that i'm gonna think about that yeah (laughs) I think the really important thing, though, is that the the give and take that these systems we're talking about would have in social conflicts, as opposed to just the simple role, because I feel like the more complexity you add to it, the more realistic it feels and the more it feels like you're actually convincing someone of something rather than just making a role and and then they magically change their mind about it. And it. It fits the real world. Like you said, realistic. I was going to go to that too. Like it fits the real world. Like you very rarely do you walk up to somebody and say, Hey, you know what you should do? And they do it. You know, you usually have to like outline like why they should do it. Like what's the risk reward for them? Like, are you, are you, are you behind them? Are you going to back them on it? Are they going to gain something out of it? You know, gain something else out of it. Is there somebody else that's going to help them? Um, is there some long-term benefit? What's the short-term benefit? There's all sorts of things that you have to play into. And so that becomes that series of roles that makes it much more interesting. So, and that's like switching weapons. Like that's like using different abilities yeah. um, in, in a fight. Like when you're, when you're trying to convince somebody of something, it's like, okay, I've got first, first problem is to get them to listen to me. Like just, just have an audience with me, talk to me. Okay. I've managed to do that. Okay, the next thing is to get them to agree that my idea is a good one. And then the next problem is to get them to agree that they should help me do the thing. Um, so it's actually three social roles. 
just right. and that's yeah. just off the cut off the top of my head like a very complex situation could be six or seven mm -hmm. different things that you need to convince or bamboozle or whatever in order to get the the person to to do the thing or you know to to manipulate the social situation to your advantage well there are also games that have reputations that come into play with this stuff stuff too reputations yes. that'll carry over and affect the way that you do interact with the world or people interact with you. Um, I know that there, there are lots of games now that are trying this out. Like Blades in the Dark has a reputation system. We put a reputation system in our game. And I like that too, because it kind of adds this, for a social interaction, it kind of adds like this total world social interaction, kind of helps you flesh out um, like different community aspects uh and can be a really good way to character build for mm -hmm. people and like and that can work in a lot of different types of games it can work in your typical like sword and shield slashing style fantasy adventure uh but it can also work for something like uh you're all high schoolers and you're coming up on prom like obviously reputations are going to come into that I don't know. Do the two of you know any good systems that that use that sort of bigger, not just individual characters, but like how different groups look at and react to characters using reputations? I know I've seen systems that use like I'm just trying to think of what it was somewhere along the line. I've I've looked at so many game systems over the years. There was like you know, fame versus infamy, mm -hmm. and that like like being famous versus being infamous got you different things and there were levels of each um you could do some interesting things with that like off the top of my head i can't think of what it was i want to say it was like some swashbuckly kind of game but that's just because i maybe that's just because that seems like a game type that that would fit really well yeah it yeah. would like like a robin hood <laughs> style or like a piratey like kind of thing where like yeah you're super popular with these this group of poor people but you come up with one of the sheriff's men and they are not going to like you at all. Right. Yeah. That's, that's Al Capone. I mean, that's that, that yeah. if, if Capers had a system like that, you know, Al Capone was beloved by the, by the, the, the citizens because he had soup kitchen, you know, open soup, soup kitchens and gave to charities and things. And like um, the cops hated him. <laughs> right. Well, um, uh, like the fallout games do that really well. Like this is video game, obviously, but fallout right. does, yeah. does that, um, Skyrim does that too, to some degree. Like, and I, I always enjoyed that, like trying to get my reputation up with one of the groups so I can become part of the thieves guild or whatever. So I can yeah. like access different storylines. I, I can definitely see that really working well with, especially with a game, with a criminal element, like you mm -hmm. do the, you do this job for us. You do all these different jobs around town and then maybe, maybe I'll let you talk to me. I'll deign to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reputation is a super interesting thing to play with. Uh, I, the only thing I can think of that does anything like that at all right now is Blades in the Dark. That, But I'm sure there's other games out there that I haven't had contact with. Yeah. I, I think that what's important is if you do include that in your game to make sure that you have other elements that tie tie into, into it. it. Yeah. Like for the means of magic, you can use your reputation to to make more convincing arguments. You can you can use it. Um, it affects other social roles, and then you can also add different skills to manipulate those relationships. So thinking about okay, you have this in your game. What are other 
ways that your players can mess with it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have skills that can augment your combat, but you also have this robust social system, what skills do you have in there that can augment that? What ways can that be harmed or, or damaged or, or elevated um, instead of just having it its own like nebulous thing within your game? Like really make sure that you're connecting and adding different ties, different, different links to the other aspects. Maybe social skills come into play with the combat in your game in general. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, if you are like super dashing and charismatic, maybe people don't want to hurt you as much. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> well, good, strong hands. I literally have, there's four checks, mind, uh, body, mind, charm, and heart. And all of them have equal weight in any like confrontation with another, with a creature. Like you could be like, you just could be swinging your sword at the, at the troll and Brennan, you could be making charm checks to confuse them or bamboozle them or uh, intimidate them or whatever. And, and, and it's all equally useful for getting the number of successes you need to overcome that challenge. And then whoever gets the last one determines kind of how it ends. Does the, does the troll go down from a sword swing or does Brennan make the poor thing just sit down and give up <laughs> because it's so confused about why it's fighting. Right. I love that because it allows the players who aren't like super into the combat stuff or they're, they're like, they really want to specialize in one thing it lets them still be versatile with their skills. And that's a, a design choice I made when making the game, which was I wanted like I wanted the fairy tale kind of thing to happen where like in fairy tales, certainly there are instances of somebody, you know, defeating a threat with violence. And then there are other times where you like, you know, trick the, the, the baddie into giving up the information or trick them into just uh, becoming friends or, you know, like I, I often think of, you know, I made the comment earlier about like, let kids make their suggestions yeah. um, in, in another podcast. Um, and like, that's because I've seen kids come up with like, well, they were attacked by wolves, but then we like cast, speak with animals and we made friends with the wolves and now they're all on our team. And right. like, yeah. like you can, so like, think about like that, that falls back to like thinking about like the, what the game is about, what the game is, is designed to do, what it's, what it's all supposed to be and what, you know, how does social roles, how do social conflict play into that game? And so like, for example, for good strong hands, I wanted social manipulation to be in, in, in intellectual manipulation with mind checks and stuff to be just as useful. You could, you could end a threat by just outthinking something. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. That's a cool, uh, cool idea. And gives the social a weight that a lot of systems don't give it. So well, and, and it's, again, just thinking about holistic design, because I love to talk about this stuff because it's something that I don't necessarily talk too much to people about because I just let it exist in the game was like in good, strong hands, you don't have an equipment list. Like you, you've got a weapon. I assume you've got a weapon. If you want one, you've got a way to to fight things and they all do the same amount of damage. They all are, they all have the same effectiveness, right? Um and that that also tells the story of like, well, this is not a fighting game because I didn't give you twenty weapons to choose from. Right. Um, I gave you four four skills, <laughs> four traits. You can use any of those four traits to do your thing. Another thing that popped in my head, I, I wrote down social damage because I've heard it referred to like you know social conflict as having social damage, but this also occurs to me too. Like speaking from looking at D anD D, you know, you're going to be using strength and dex to do fighty fighty, and your constitution 
determines in part how many hit points you have. Higher constitution means you have more hit points, means you're tougher to take down in a fight, right? So you could also integrate into you, if you've got a game that's going to have deep social conflict rules, you could integrate like exhaustion with social conflict into things too, where like if if the monarch is granting favors all day and is being petitioned constantly, um, there comes a, you know, like, and other people go in there, like I go in there and I get something from the monarch a favor. And then Jess goes in there and gets something from the monarch. And then Brennan takes their character, his character in there. And like, maybe that, you know, in the game, that monarch is just like, I just want this over with. I am so tired of all of this, you know, and it makes it easier for Brennan to get like a bigger favor that might've been more difficult to get otherwise. Or harder. Or harder. Because if he's if grumpy now. Yeah. It, it, it's a question of which, right. Which way the, the monarch swings. And you could integrate that into social roles is like, like the, 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 the particular attitude of the, the target NBC at that time. See, that could, also... And that becomes like, it adds a complexity to the social rule thing too, where now you've got to like, okay, I'm going to spend some time sizing them up. Like, are they, what, what's their personal proclivities right now? Are they just giving stuff away because they're just exhausted and tired of dealing with people? Um, and, and, or, or it's their birthday or their wedding and they're in a good mood and they just want to share the love. Or are they really cranky about something because they just lost an election or, you know, like whatever it is. Um, and you can build that in too. And, and that becomes like precursor checks. Like it's like, I'm going to make some perception or insight checks into figuring out something about them that will help me to find my tactic that I'm going to use. And then I'll make my social roles. That also yeah, rings true that. to me yeah. as a teacher. Like, <laughs> like I'm tired by the end of the day. I might be a little bit yeah, more that's, likely that's to let fine. these kids that's do fine. whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just go ahead. Just stop. Just stop asking. Just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's the the tired mom philosophy of social <laughs> role play. By the time you get to your third kid, uh, who cares if they eat ice cream for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> Brennan, any any final thoughts on all of this? Um, yeah, I think uh, the uh, sizing up your your uh, opposition is like a super interesting way to go into the social mechanic. Uh, I've seen it done. I mean, I, I think uh, truly social characters would do that. They would read the person first before they tried to do to pull anything. And so that would be, uh, you know, uh, a great a great way to integrate that is with like an empathy check or something along those lines. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you have this you have this game that you're making. Is yes. it coming out anytime soon? It should be out next year. It's called The Art of Power. It is a uh, power politics game. And it is all social mechanics, except for when social stuff fails, then you can actually hurt each other. So <laughs> when that fails, then when words yes. fail, yes, we might be uh, we might be slapping. War is just politics by other means. So you know, <laughs> that's is that? Did you make that up? That's no, no, that's Bismarck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Who is that? That's the capital of some state. I don't know who that is. <laughs> it was a Prussian leader. Okay. <laughs> Got it. War is just politics by other means. That's yeah. Also the capital of North Dakota. Yes. Thank you. Also the capital of North Dakota. Capital, yeah. <laughs> some, the capital of some state. Some state. <laughs> North Dakota, that's not real. <laughs> 
that's just Canada, right? North. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brandon, thanks. Thanks for joining us again today. Yeah, it's a, it's always a pleasure. I really enjoy uh, these conversations. So. Okay. Between now and next year, when Art of Power comes out, where can we find you, and what do you have to to plug? You can find me on the socials at Brennan R. Taylor, and uh, I am plugging currently uh, Thousand Arrows, which is our Sengoku period uh, Japanese uh, game, which is out on DriveThruRPG now, and uh, Katanas and Trenchcoats, a yeah. 90s pastiche uh, of Highlander and Vampire Media <laughs> and The Fast and the Furious. So, you know, just to add a little extra in there. Oh, it just had a long conversation about Fast and Furious. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah. You can find me on social media and Twitter and Tumblr at, at Josca or on TikTok at Jess is Awful. Um, you can also, this will be the second and final time I will I will tell you about my new podcast, which is called Food Court Book Club, where I am reading my immortal the harry potter gothic fan fiction to two people who have never heard it before because i i love it and you can also find my <laughs> games at wannabegames.com or at drive your rpg and itch uh and i'm at nerdburger craig on twitter and mastodon and also you can uh, find my website at nerdburgergames.com um, all the games are available on drive through rpg i have a patreon patreon.com slash nerdburgercraig um we are uh, uh i'm sharing a lot of what's happening with capers cyberpunk and uh uh so every month that a little tidbit of that comes out and some art that's getting worked on and everything so yeah everything about that patreon is just to kind of help me get a jump on um caper cyberpunk because that's going to be um like a big a big deal for me it's going to be a big push it's going to be a big kickstarter or crowdfund of whatever sort um somewhere down the road so help support uh thank you for our opening and closing theme song which is avil by steph Sachs, licensed under creative common share like license uh cc by sa 2.5 and thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye.